This is The Fray Podcast, brought to you by thefray.com, a place for women who want more from life. Today's podcast is a conversation with clinical psychologist and author, Dr. Rebecca Ray. It was honestly such a joy to speak with Rebecca. I so thoroughly enjoyed my conversation. You will hear me say in this episode, oh my gosh, I feel like I should be paying you for therapy. I had light bulb moments during my conversation with Beck, and I think you might too. So in particular, We are talking about boundaries, but as per the usual course of the Frey podcast, we do go off on some different tangents, but ultimately this is a conversation about the importance of acknowledging when a boundary is being disrespected, when you need to introduce a boundary, how to do it effectively, efficiently, and from a place of self-kindness and self-compassion. Her latest book is titled Setting Boundaries, and it is a book that will help you define your circles of empowerment. It will help you understand that boundaries are not just about knowing when to say no. Boundaries are the natural result of knowing your worth, trusting your instincts, and listening to your inner leader. Throughout our conversation, you will hear Beck explaining and exploring some of those theories as well. But of course, we can't cover everything that is in the book. And I highly recommend that you pick up a copy of this book. It's, as I mentioned, it's titled Setting Boundaries. We talk a little bit about it at the end of the chat, but it is just brilliant. And Dr. Rebecca is so relatable so lovable and just, I don't know, such a joy. As I mentioned, I can't fangirl enough about her. So let's just get stuck into today's episode. Dr. Rebecca Ray, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to have a chat with me on the topic of boundaries. Thanks for having me, Kylie. It's such a pleasure to be here. Of course, of course. So boundaries are something that people do really tend to struggle with, whether it's a boundary in a romantic relationship or at work or, you know, with family or even your own personal boundaries, people often find it a real challenge. And you've literally written the book on how people can help themselves through this challenge. So I would love to start with the basics. Why are boundaries important and why do we find it hard sometimes to establish a boundary? Boundaries are important because they're essentially circles of empowerment and preservation. So rather than being as something that's selfish or mean, boundaries get a really bad rap in that sense. They're, people can feel like they're being unkind or they're being self-focused by setting a boundary. But the thing is, if you don't set boundaries around your personal resources, like your love, time, energy, money, um, attention, then you're essentially giving unfiltered access to um, other people around how they use those resources without necessarily considering what it is that you need for yourself. So boundaries help you to make sure that you're distributing your personal resources in line with your core values. 
And they're fairly essential to make sure that you're making your future self proud of the way you're living today. Otherwise, it's just a free-for-all for everyone else to be able to come close to you and get what you have available from you without thinking that through. And the reason it's difficult, it's not difficult for everyone. If you've grown up with parents that, or grown ups that were really good at modeling boundaries and allowed you to have your own boundaries and respected those boundaries, then it's actually um, something that can be translated into adulthood where you can do that for yourself. But if you grew up with um, grown ups who didn't model boundaries well for you or didn't respect your boundaries as a child and adolescent, you can land in adulthood thinking, A, I don't know what my boundaries are. B, I don't know whether I'm allowed to have boundaries or whether that means that there's something defective about me if I have to set a boundary. Or C, I know what my boundaries are, but I don't want to set them with other people because I don't want to create conflict. I don't want to rock rock the boat. I don't want to hurt someone else. And I don't want to be judged as being selfish. Mm, I love that reframing of boundaries to begin with because you're so right. Often when someone talks about a boundary, you kind of get that hard line image in your mind and it's about keeping people out. But what I'm hearing from you is a boundary is really about what you're keeping in and keeping for yourself first and foremost. Exactly. Because if you don't decide that, you're giving that choice to other people. Mm. So how do you know? if you're perhaps lacking in boundaries, what does that feel and look like? I really like in in a podcast sense to give listeners something that's easy to be able to work with because you can't necessarily read text right now. So the thing that I would encourage listeners to do is to check in with your feelings. Feelings are absolutely essential pieces of information. Now, if you're in a place where you are feeling resentment, frustration, irritation, or anger, it's likely that there's a boundary of yours that's been crossed. Now, Mm, resentment's such a big one, isn't it? It is such a big one. And some of the time, some of the times that we actually end up struggling most is where we don't say anything when the boundary is crossed. Um, and we let it go, we let it slide, we let it happen again, and then all of a sudden we're a simmering ball of resentment and it can result in implosion. So you end up having kind of like a mental breakdown yourself, perhaps in a in a small way. Mental breakdown is not a clinical diagnosis for listeners. Um, but you can also explode. So in this situation, I remember a client specifically that came to see me when she was about 50 and she, <laughs> she was such a people pleaser that she had spent time in her relationship with her husband not speaking about this particular issue for so long that she ended up as a simmering ball of resentment and that exploded in a situation where she threw a bottle of nail polish against a kitchen cupboard above her husband's head. Um, Now, I'm not saying that every listener is going to get to that point if you don't communicate your boundaries, but I will definitely say that people-pleasing has consequences when you do it in such a way that you ignore your own needs. Um, And those consequences are often that we get pushed to our limits. And I promise you, people-pleasers do have limits. They just don't always respect them for themselves. Why is it so common for women in particular to sort of play that role of people pleasing? I I think because we're socially conditioned. So 
culturally, uh, if you step into a workplace and you see a guy who is forthright, going after what he wants for his career, um, perhaps stepping on a few toes to get there, you'll notice that he's very likely labelled as confident, um, a go-getter and probably assertive. He's rewarded for that. Now, if you step into the same workplace and there's a woman that's doing exactly those same behaviours, it's very likely that she'll be labelled as um, extra, too much, high maintenance, hysterical, a ball buster, um, a a bitch, any other number of negative or labels that have negative connotations with them. So we're essentially socially conditioned to be meek and mild, to be conflict um, resolution providers, peacemakers, um, and to make sure that we don't rock the boat. Otherwise, we'll be judged as uh, too easy, sorry, too difficult to get along with. Now, if you're too, yeah, if you're too difficult to get along with, then who's going to offer you the next gig or the next job? Um, mm. And so we end up ignoring what it is that we need in environments like that. It can happen in relationships as well for fear of being rejected, abandoned, judged or simply missing out on what other people, i.e. men, um, are able to achieve with the same behaviours. Yeah, I'm sitting here nodding along because I so, so relate with that and now you know, in my mid thirties, when I reflect on choices I've made, and I'm still making some of these choices because it's so hard to, it can be hard to kind of learn (laughs) new ways of being and showing up in the world. But when I reflect on relationships, for example, that I've chosen, I can see such a clear thread back from little Kylie when she was a child. And I was so conditioned to be the good one. And I'm one of three girls. And one of, you know, my biggest stories that I heard throughout my whole childhood was Kylie is the easy child. You know, my eldest Where sister are you in was the middle. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. But, um, <laughs> you know, so it was always my elder sister had her own sort of narrative that they'd put on her. And my younger sister had one as well. But for me, you know, anytime I heard my parents talk about me, it was always Kylie's always been easy. And so I carried that with me like through my whole life. And Mm. I can see now looking back on my marriage and going through a divorce of, oh, I chose that person. He was a great person at the time, but I can see I chose to be in a relationship that really solidified this is how you be good, be a good girl, be quiet. And it's so interesting when you start peeling back the layers of, you know, exactly what is people pleasing and how you get to that point. Yep. Yeah, it's a lot. I think one of the things that it's important to say at this point is the way you learn to survive or the way you learned to get your needs met is not necessarily the way you thrive in adulthood. Oh, so, so yes. I mean, I heard Tony Robbins, <laughs> of all people, say or ask this question years ago and he said, what did you need to do or who did you need to be to receive the love of your mother and the love of your father? And it's often quite different things, which is yep. interesting. You know, I know for me, I felt like to receive the love from one of my parents, it was about being a little bit anxious and a little bit damaged. And then from the other parent, it was about being good, easy, attractive. And so then you can see how that shows up 
as you move through life. So I imagine for people that, you know, identify as having a people-pleasing tendency, maybe casting your mind back a little bit. And as you said, it might be, or as we've discussed, it might be from your childhood. It might just be socially, you know, maybe you are conditioned during a workplace where you actually get rewarded the easier you are to get along versus being difficult and having a look at those threads. Absolutely. And also then checking in as an adult with what needs of your inner child still remain. So one of the things that happens during childhood is without a doubt, there's parts of us as little people who have needs that are actually never met because parents aren't perfect. And sometimes trauma happens as well during our upbringing. And a really valuable thing for listeners to understand is that it's valuable, perhaps it's also frustrating as well. Once you're in adulthood, it's your responsibility to meet those needs for your inner child because no one else is coming. And I know that that might be frustrating news and we can end up in really healthy relationships. I hope that's the case for listeners as they make choices for their future self and choosing partners that are really healthy and good for us. But it's not even that partner's responsibility to meet those needs. As adults, it's about us checking in with which parts of us remain wounded, which parts of us remain having limiting beliefs or unmet needs from childhood, and then meeting those as an adult. So, for example, I came from um, parents who loved me dearly, did the best that they could, wasn't always good enough, though, in various ways. in various ways. And one of those ways is that they were quite critical. And that was usually because I think looking at them in adulthood, they're quite critical on themselves. And so that criticism was then voiced upon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On me, if I acted out or messed up in some way. Um, and so, my responsibility as an adult to be able to have my inner child in a place where it's not pulling me back from my potential because it's so fearful all the time is to respond to it with self-compassion. That's been my adult journey in my relationship with myself is how do I come from a place that is accepting of imperfection and responding to myself in healthy ways rather than just laying more perfectionism and more criticism on myself and raising the standards even higher, which is what I did in my my 20s, perhaps even my early 30s. Now that I'm 42, I bloody love aging. Aging is just the best thing ever, such a privilege, but I love it because I've never felt so comfortable in my skin. And I've also never been so good as what I am now at being able to respond to myself in ways that are gentle rather than ways that are harsh and can, sorry, and condemning. Mm. And when you talk about responding to yourself and I guess kind of nurturing that inner child, does that sort of for you show up in ways of like reparenting yourself a little bit and like actually talking to yourself? 
yeah, you could call it reparenting. I don't always frame it like that. Um, although I do um, see my inner child as being younger, obviously much younger than what I am right now. I generally just frame it as standard self-talk. So it's not necessarily a parental voice. It's just a kind and gentle voice. Um, probably the best example I can give you that's recent and current or current for me is re-establishing my relationship with my body. So I had a traumatic pregnancy with Bennett and that followed fertility treatment and I ended up with a body that was much heavier than what I'd ever been in my entire life, a body I didn't recognize, um, a body that uh, I just didn't do what I thought it was going to do during pregnancy. It was just horrid. Um, and it's taken me a very long time to be able to reestablish re my relationship with my body, um, to be able to move again, to be able to feed myself in healthy ways again rather than, rather than using food for comfort. And so the internal talk that I hear now is rather than one of you should be different, you should be better, you should be further along than what you are, you shouldn't look like this, um, you should be able to do X, Y, Z that you used to do when you were super fit and super thin, um, and here's what here's how I'm going to label and judge you because you can't do those things. My inner talk doesn't sound like that at all now. My inner talk sounds something along the lines of, you went swimming today. You rock. Like 80 laps is amazing. And you're carrying this weight and you did that with extra weight on your body. Look at how amazing your body is for being able to show up and do what you asked it to do today. Like this is remarkable. And you have been through such a journey with your body that I commend you for showing up here today feeding yourself well, and then choosing movement. That's how the self-talk sounds. Rather than what I'm not, it's everything that I am. I love that. It's really leaning into, I guess, being your own best friend because as cliche as that saying is, you know, you wouldn't talk to your best friend in the way that your inner critic talks to yourself. And just last night I was making some notes about a podcast I'm recording for some journaling prompts and I was reading up about Solomon's or Solomon's paradox, which is this story about how there was this wise man that was able to give such great advice and guidance to other people, but could never take it for himself. And then that kind of led me to think about how for me, sometimes that's what I'll do when I'm journaling. I'll be like, just spew it out. Be like, this is the shit. This is what, this is how I'm feeling. I'm so depressed. I'm this. And similar to you, I, or maybe similar, I don't know. I shouldn't put words in your mouth, but I have gained a little bit of weight and I felt a bit uncomfortable in my body. I have a history of eating disorder. So it's been challenging for me. And so I'll just spew out all of that venom, all of that toxic kind of talk that's popping up. And then I'll like kind of put on my Solomon's paradox hat of being like, if this was someone I loved, like if this yeah. was someone I loved telling me this, I'd be like, for fuck's sake, Kylie, you're still yeah. in a size eight body. You're this, you're that, you're actually, this is the size you need to be. Da, 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 da. That's your eating disorder. Like, and talk back to myself. Yeah. And that is so helpful for me. And I was having this chat with a friend of mine who's a therapist and she's like, oh yeah, that's like a famous type of therapy where you, you swap 
chairs, I think she yes, was saying. Yes, empty chair technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no. so I've not actually done that part, but just writing it out and thinking like, what is the advice I would give someone I love, you know, treating myself like someone I love? And part of that advice, an essential ingredient to that particular advice is empathy and validation. So if if I'm having one of those moments where you might write it out, I don't necessarily journal. It just doesn't, uh, just doesn't, I don't love it. It's just not something that I do on a regular basis. But instead, I can go into the internal talk in my head and observe what's happening. Now, if my internal talk is may not necessarily be positive as such um, in terms of you showed up today. That's amazing. It might be something along the lines of this is really hard. I don't feel like making food for myself today. I don't, I've got too much to do. I've got to go and do these things and these things. And I don't have time to stop and go for a swim. This is too much. I, why am I even in this place where I had to, why couldn't I have an Instagram worthy pregnancy where everything just went easily and I just popped out the baby and then my body went back to normal? Why can't it be like that? So sometimes the internal talk is like that. And my response to that is, again, self-compassion, but the key ingredient is validation and empathy. And it sounds like this. It's hard. I see you and I see how hard this is for you right now. And I see that you're trying and I see that you're frustrated that you even have to try. And I'm with you. I've heard the term toxic toxic positivity being thrown around quite a bit lately. And is validation... I mean, what I'm hearing is like validation is so separate from that toxic positivity because toxic positivity, from what I understand, and I could be way off, is kind of when you're like, look for the silver linings, girlfriend, like move on, it could be worse. Whereas validation is like, yeah, yeah, it's fucking hard. Yeah, exactly. So validation is um, stepping alongside the experience that the person is having. It's not jumping into the feeling with them. Um, or even with yourself. It's not compounding the feeling or wallowing if we're talking about validation towards yourself and it's not getting in the feeling with the other person. That's sympathy. So um, sympathy is where you actually feel distress and helplessness at not being able to fix someone else's emotions. You know, you kind of start to feel distress about how they're feeling. Empathy is shifting alongside to be able to observe how they're feeling and communicate that back to them. Toxic positivity is covering up the experience with some kind of um, loose motivational quote or superficial something. <laughs> motivational quote um, that is usually designed to make the person giving the toxic positivity to feel more comfortable with the other person's experience. So one of the things that we often suffer with as humans is that it's very painful to hear, see people um, in pain. And so to make ourselves more comfortable and make the conversation kind of to restore the conversational comfort, we say things that are incredibly disconnecting, like it's all good, you've been through worse, um, sometimes even you're strong, you can do this. If someone's just sitting there and going, I can't do this, then it won't always be received in the way that you want it to be received. And and I think it's really key, key if, if some listeners are listening now and going, oh, my goodness, I've said those words. It's okay, we all have. We all do it. 
Yeah, and you're in, I'm not saying that your intention is bad. In fact, most people have very good intentions. But what they're saying is just outside of their awareness to understand that the impact it's having is not what they're seeking in terms of their relationship with the person. So it's very likely that you actually want to make the person heard, uh, sorry, feel heard and feel seen and feel understood. But you can't do that with platitudes or at least very rarely. You can do it if the person uses um, that example first. So for example, I went to see my dentist, oh, about 12 months ago now. And uh, as he'd been gone, he'd he'd been on leave. So my appointment was actually delayed by about three months. And I asked him like, are you okay? What's been happening? And he told me while he had the tools in my mouth um, that he had been returned back to the UK where his parents are. He's from the UK and both his parents had COVID and his father passed away from COVID. Oh, wow. And so he'd actually been back there dealing with that and was recovering from the grief of his father's sudden death. They were both completely healthy prior to that. And he said to me, um, it's all good. It just is what it is. Now, as soon as he pulled the tools out of my mouth, I didn't say, yeah, it's all good. Like, it's fine. Yeah, onwards and upwards, mate. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did that in context to be able to manage his own emotions because he was at work. We can't really have a conversation while he's sticking metal tools in my mouth. Um, And so in that situation, if someone has used platitudes like that before you have, then it's okay if they're finding it helpful in that particular context. But um, platitudes should come and cliches should kind of come with a warning when they're too positive that they're actually not validation usually. Or sorry, they're not validating usually. So it's actually far more validating to hear someone say something along the lines of, it seems like this is really hard for you now. You know, I, I can see that you're struggling with this right now. Is there anything that I can offer you? Or one of my favorites is, do you, um, are you looking for solutions? Do you want me to help you to brainstorm some solutions or would you like me to just listen? I'm available for both. Oh, I think that is such, such helpful guidance, Beck. Just the fact of like listening and being like, is this a situation where you need to accept that you are uncomfortable and just hold space and validate? Or is this a situation where it is appropriate to hear them, you know, sort of offer you a platitude and kind of give you the green light of, okay, this isn't the time to actually delve into it. It's not appropriate because there are times when people just actually use that platitude, I guess, as a, as a boundary almost of being like, I'm not really available to go into this right now. That's right. And also the language of what do you need from me? right now. And I had this pop up just the other day, a girlfriend of mine was so set on this property that they were about to buy and it fell over at the 11th hour and they've lost money. They, and they were really, really invested in this particular property. And the property market right now is so wild. It is. And I said to her, cause she said, this is fucked. This is what's happened. And I said, what do you need? Like, cause I agree with you. This is so hard. Like let's talk about how rough it is. Mm. Or do you want to talk about steps moving forward or, or what, what can I give you? And she sort of, she sort of thought about for a minute, she goes, you know what? I think I need to hear that sometimes things happen for a reason. And I said, yeah, perfect. No, then we went into like, you know what? Sometimes your bad luck is saving you from worse luck later on. Because yes. That's what she needed in the moment. And then she said to me, you know what? I'm off to eat 
some Thai food and watch a comforting movie and I'm going to deal with the adult side of it tomorrow. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. When someone can actually articulate what they need. Yeah. Which kind of leads into my next point that I really wanted to chat with you about, Beck, is articulating what you need when you're trying to establish a boundary in particular, if it's a kind of tricky dynamic such as with in-laws or <clears throat> grandparents, um, that that's kind of the big one that I had a lot of feedback on when I posted about boundaries in our Facebook group and people were messaging me privately as well because they didn't want to comment publicly and saying, oh my gosh, I am struggling so hard with putting a boundary in place with my in-laws. What yep. do I do? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's a really broad question because it could be any kind of boundary. Um, The first thing I really want people to focus on around in-laws is that you and your partner are a team and your family unit and the family unit's needs, the family system's needs come first. So I mean your immediate family, your partner and your children, their needs come first. Um, Including yours, obviously. So it's really hard to set a boundary if Um, with your in-laws if your partner, i.e. their child, is not on board with you. So the first part of setting a boundary with your in-laws is communicating what the issue is with your partner to begin with so that you're both on the same page, your partner understands what's needed, your partner understands why um, you feel that way and what you'd like to be different so that when you go and set the boundary with your in-laws, you're coming from the same page with your partner. It's really difficult if you end up being undermined by your partner or your partner then goes behind your back and does something differently with your in-laws, which can be incredibly painful. So the first thing that I would um, encourage you to do is to get clear with your partner where you're at so that you're both on the same page. The second thing is to, um, it's kind of all in the way that you communicate your boundaries. And um, this is around understanding that just because you set a boundary doesn't actually mean you're pushing people away. Instead, think of it as a gift. So I actually think boundaries are the biggest gift we can give each other in relationships because they're like a set of clear instructions as to how to love me and respect me. I'm actually showing you how to love me and respect me. Yeah, I value enough to communicate with you my needs. Yes, I want us to have a beautiful, healthy relationship and these are my needs um, in us doing that. So for example, I set a boundary with my own in-laws around staying. So Nissa has a family who spend a lot of time together. They live apart, but when they do spend time together, it's like 24 hours a day. Now, fuck off. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> but no. Um, I'm an introvert. I have intense sanctuary needs. Um, And I need to have time in my day where I decompress by not engaging. Her family doesn't have those needs. In fact, they get their needs met by more time together. 
that's fine, but don't fucking involve me. Like, I'm sorry, I can't be a part of it. Now, I need to make this very clear that I actually ignored my own needs for a very long time in our relationship. Nissa and I have been together nearly nine years, actually. Oh, I need to plan for that. It's like in five days or something. Um, and so we had a lot of time where at the beginning I was trying to be a good girl and doing, oh, okay, this is what they do, so I should just accept that. They come and stay, fucking spend 6 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night together engaging. Just no, I'm sorry. I love these people, but that's my idea of a nightmare with anyone. Mm. I'm sitting here laughing because I am the same (laughs) as you. I fill up my cup by retreating and being alone. So the thought of being on for such an extended period. Five days, seven days. Like, yeah, just yeah, yeah. no, it's a I can't do it. Disaster I for me. Yeah, exactly. Disaster for me as well. So, I approached, um, well, first of all, Nissa and I were, got back on the same page, and I explained to her the impact that that was having. She kind of knew it, but also just forgot about it because it was exciting for her to have her parents nearby, especially when we've had times recently where COVID has um, hit and Nissa's parents are in a different state. So it's, I'm in Queensland, they're in New South Wales, the border has been shut for so long. So um, one of the things that we had to talk about is what is another way that we can do this? Where can they stay? How do we get how do you guys get the same connection that you need while my needs are also met and the whole thing doesn't fall apart? Yeah, now, getting creative. Yeah, initially this can be interpreted as don't you like us or don't don't you want to spend time with us? And I had to communicate around that to be able to explain um, it's not lessening my love for you. My love for you remains the same. I want you to be a part of our family and us to be a part of your family, especially where Bennett is concerned. But I'm an introvert. And what that means is um, the way my energy levels are replenished is um, I need to be quiet and I need to not engage in order for my cup to be refilled, my battery to be recharged. It's actually not about you. It's about me. And if I don't respect those internal boundaries that I have for my own self energetically, then I end up with compromised mental health. So I don't have a choice in this. This is the way I'm wired. It's the way my brain circuitry operates. And so this is actually not about you. This is just something I have to do for myself. I would love it if I was the type of person that could be with you um, all hours of the day, every day for days at a time, but I'm just not. And this doesn't happen with anyone else in my life either other than my wife. So it's about communicating where the boundary sits and giving it, giving the other person an understanding of why the boundary is there for you and then um, not taking responsibility for their own feelings around that. Because sometimes if they, especially if they come from a very different family dynamic, it can take a while for them to understand that this is different but it's also okay, you know, it's not about me, it's actually okay. Um, so, yeah. Hopefully that example helps. That's super helpful. And even just explaining that, you know, your wife, she was aware that that was a need of yours, but she forgot because she was getting caught up in her needs and her family needs. And that's what comes natural to her. And I just keep getting, you know, 
without sounding too woo-woo, like, you know, when the, things just keep getting put in front of you that keep reminding you, oh, yes, Kylie, you actually need to give someone the manual on how to love you. And, and you need so, to remind them to read the manual. Yes, you need to <laughs> refresh them and be like, hey, hey, hey. And, you know, it first dropped in a couple of months ago randomly through a man who I know actually listens to the podcast, but we connected on a dating app and he sent me this Alan DeBotton talk. And yeah. I had heard it before, but I'd forgotten about it. And it's called yeah. Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. And in that, he speaks so well about the importance of, you know, really making sure that you're not romanticizing this idea of someone should be able to look into your soul and know what you need magically. It's really much more about you know, when you're a grown up and you're in relationship going, this is my user manual. And so yeah. let's get creative on ways that we can kind of meet both of our, our needs. Absolutely. And the user manual needs to be updated as you evolve and that those updates need to be communicated to your partner as well. I can honestly say that Nissa is the person that knows me best, sees me best and has I've never experienced such a soft place to land in my life. Hence why I jumped the fence, hence why I fell in love with a woman when I was going to marry a six foot four cowboy. That did not happen. I married a five foot ringlet crowned muso chick. But here we are. So she is the most remarkable human and yet... I don't have expectations that she will get it right 100% of the time like I don't get it right for her 100% of the time. We just don't expect that. So instead, what we do expect is that when each of us gets it wrong or we're off track, we communicate about that. So I can trust her to come to me and go, this is what I need from you. And she can trust me to come to her and go, remember, if we go down to your parents at Christmas, this is planned. This is actually what we're doing. We're going down. We don't stay in their place because I'll lose my mind. So we stay somewhere else. And then she's also said, so if we have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with them, I know that you'll need the next day. Do you want the morning to yourself? Is that what will work for you? music music yes. to my ears yeah I know and I was like oh oh my god I love you so much um yes I probably will need the morning to myself so it's already planned way in ahead that this is what my needs are well I can also say to her do you want to go and stay a night with your mum and dad I don't care like you go and do what you need to make sure that your cup is filled and you get as much time with them as you possibly need when you just said about the manual needing to be updated often, that was like a massive click moment for me of being like, well, of course, like, of course, but I've never really thought of it mm -hmm. in terms like that because, you know, for example, if you invest in a relationship, say in your 20s, what you need and want and desire from that relationship is likely going to be so different when you are in your right. 30s and particularly if you've gone through parenthood or whatever, if you're looking at your own stuff, your needs are different. And if you're Absolutely. not updating that manual, again, recipe for disaster, lift it. Absolutely. And I imagine it's the same back with friendships, you know, as yeah. friendships evolve. So how do we communicate a boundary if we're not feeling respected in a friendship? Um. Oh, I had this happen today. I had some, uh, sorry, not today, recently. I had someone set a boundary with me because I totally missed the mark on something. So I want to give you this example. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a musician, um, an incredible musician. And I was saying to her, 
oh my goodness, I can't wait until you go back on tour again. Um, I was sending her outfits from Pinterest going, you would look great in this. Should, should, do you want to wear this jumpsuit for the next tour? Because I think that with a red lip would look amazing. I was just like completely in my own zone of imagining her back on tour. She sent me a text message and said, you are the dearest friend. I love you so much, but I cannot continue the conversation about going on tour again. And the the pain and the grief that I hold for our industry, the music industry at large, the entertainment industry, not ever getting back to where it once was is just too raw for me at the moment. I can't continue to talk about potential tours um, with you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I looked at the message and I was like, fuck, I am such a fucking idiot. That was my first response to myself is um, how can I be in a position where I missed that. I missed the signs that she was kind of nearing her limit with that conversation because it was somehow triggering for her and hurting her. Um, And this is really important in friendships that you have a way to be able to communicate a boundary and then repair any rupture that might occur as a result of that boundary being crossed. The first thing with me is I didn't know the boundary existed. So she communicated it to me. And then I I then immediately apologized because I had something to apologize for. Um, And I also reassured her that tours are off topic for us until she puts it back on the table as something that we can talk about. Now, Sorry, did you want to? No, I was just going to say, and that right there is such a beautiful example of someone giving you their user manual, you know, and and your response to go, oh, I'm a fucking idiot, but really you're not because you didn't have that intel at hand. That's right. And I also didn't say that back to her. I didn't say, oh my goodness, I'm a fucking idiot and make it about about you. (laughs) (laughs) I did say, I'm so sorry, I missed the signs Um, and then told her what I would do to Um, protect her emotional well-being and emotional safety with me in future by saying that that topic is off the table. Um, Sometimes I think it's really important that listeners understand that this is actually quite a new friend in my life, which I love acquiring adult friends, you know, friends that just aren't, yeah, it's the best. And so I really wanted to make sure that she felt emotionally safe. But I have also had a situation where Um, There have been friends that I've actually gone through a friendship divorce with. And what we're talking about updating manuals, especially with big life events like getting married and then getting divorced, even having kids, um, totally different world that you're then in once you're a parent. Some friendships just don't update with us. So some friendships won't last through your evolution. They're just not meant to be with your existence as it is in um, you know, Kylie 2.0, 3.0, 5.0, whatever, wherever you consider yourself right now. And I think it's really important that listeners understand that not only is it healthy to terminate friendships that no longer are meeting your needs or no longer um, feel healthy for you, but it's actually incredibly useful for not blocking your future potential by trying to be something in those friendships that you're no longer I think that's such helpful information. And when you use the term terminate a friendship, do you sort of, I guess, I guess it depends. It's probably so situational, but my initial question was, if that's the case, do you think it is important to have a conversation and say, or is it just a case of pulling back and letting that friendship fade away naturally? 
I think it depends on a what the friendship looks like, how um, the level of disconnection that the friendship has gotten to. Because usually we're not talking about friendship divorces unless there's been a long period of time that the friendship has kind of not been what it once was, or there's been a very clear rupture and, I don't know, your best friend uh, had an affair with your husband, you know, like there's something very clear that then makes you want to walk away from that friendship. Um, It depends on the person who's on the other side of the friendship as well. Now, most of the time I get asked this by people pleasers, though, people that don't feel confident to essentially just have a conversation and go, you know what, I don't feel like we're a good fit right now. Uh, Sorry, I don't feel like we're a good fit anymore. There's not a place for this friendship in my life moving forward. Um, That can be a really difficult conversation to have. So you do have options, um, but you just need to be sure that the option that you choose sits with you as okay as possible. And I say that because sometimes there is no option that's pain-free for any of us. So you can ghost the person if you want to. That's your choice. You know, you have the option to do that. But if you then get to a point where you feel like that wasn't consistent with the person that you wanted to be, you might find that you actually need to confront the issue more head-on Um, in which case I would encourage you to have a conversation with the person or even a text message to let them know what's going on. Sometimes for people who are very conflict shy um, or worried, text messages or emails can be a much easier form of communication. Mm, A little softer. Yeah. And also it gives you more time to think. So sometimes in conversations, people can be frightened that they won't know what to say or they freeze, So, which is, that's part of the fight-flight response. Fight, flight or freeze. We can freeze up in conflict situations and not be able to think through quickly enough to be able to respond effectively in the moment. Text messaging and email means that you get to take the time that you need to formulate a reply. Mm, can be a really helpful tool. Yeah. Now, I just had two more questions if sure. your time allows for it. Yeah. One, just on the topic of, you know, friends and inserting boundaries, how do you know if you're affecting a boundary versus using an avoidance coping technique? You know, how do you know, like going, okay, actually this person has aggravated something within me, they've triggered me, I need to put a hard line in the sand or whatever it is versus I have a pattern of cutting people off because I don't want to expose myself to being vulnerable or being hurt. How yeah. do you know which which area it's coming from? It's a really great, great question. I don't have time to go into all these identities, but one of the ways that I frame what happens in our unconscious is by giving identities to what I call our protection selves. Now, our protection selves are the parts of us that are wounded. Um, They're informed by our unmet needs, our resentments, our fears, our limiting beliefs. And they sit in our unconscious and they act, as the name suggests, from a place of self-protection. So their first drive is to prevent us from being harmed, um, from being hurt emotionally, from being embarrassed, humiliated, rejected, abandoned. Those protection selves each have different ways of operating and each different ways of doing their job. The guardian protection self is the one that builds a brick wall and says, sorry, I've been hurt before, fuck off everyone. Um, you're not invited in because it's just too risky. I'll only be let down, I'll be hurt again, I'll be rejected, it's just not worth it. And so 
what I want to give listeners is if you imagine you've got a little guardian, imagine a security guard within you, within your unconscious sitting there thinking, um, I'm not letting anyone in. If your first, your kind of default response is to go, no, you're not allowed in, then that's your guardian operating. And the way to get around that is to activate what I call your inner leader, which is your conscious self, your authentic self, to be able to make a choice around who you want to be and who your future self is becoming so that you can then decide what is the action that I want to take right now in the service of the person that I want to stand for. That is so helpful and I can definitely relate to more leaning into my inner guardian, that inner security guard at times as a defense mechanism or a survival skill or whatever it is. But just the way you framed that is so helpful. I feel like I should be paying you for a therapy session right now. (laughs) Um, And the last thing that I wanted to touch on before we wrap up today is I would love if you could speak to the importance of parents establishing boundaries with their children, even young kids, because I know since becoming a single parent and I've got the kids, um, you know, a lot with me and it can be full on. I've got eight year old twin boys. They're amazing, but it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I've definitely had to have so many more conversations with myself and so many, I've had so many moments where I'm like, oh, I need a boundary in place, you know, like, no, the boys can't use my ensuite like it's their bathroom, just things like that. Because I'm like, I'm going to get frustrated if they do that. And then I'm going to explode at them. And so I, the more I think about it for myself, the more I can see, oh, it's actually a gift to them. When I say this is mum's boundary, you're not going to cross it. But I know it's something that a lot of people really struggle with because there's that, you know, that narrative of the martyr and giving everything to your children and being self-sacrificing. Especially on Instagram or social media at large, you know, here's here's me being an amazing parent. Um, look at these kind of this curated feed that I've got with all the same filter, and we're all in our matching linen outfits, absolutely, <laughs> with a sign with the, that writing on it, just whatever quote it is. Um, no shame to those people. I think it must require so much effort, and no. it requires effort for me to put a bra on. So if you put in all that effort then good on you. Like, honestly, that's it's so funny. Before I had kids, I was like, oh, my kids will always be dressed really well. No, <laughs> they're not. One of them wore a Pokemon rashy the other day to school. I was like, what, whatever. Like just, just my child hardly it. ever dressed. Um, yeah, totally. Thanks to a, a preference for Nike time. So, um, in terms of kids, the first thing I need to say, kids are not my area of expertise. And there are several pages that I love, particularly on Instagram. One is at Dr. Becky Inside, sorry, at Dr. Becky at Good Inside. So actually, if you write out Dr. D-R Becky, B-E-C-K-Y at A-T, Good Inside. Um, I've learned so much from her in terms of inst- um, setting boundaries on from Instagram. So she just does these really short, sharp videos. What I will say from my just my own knowledge as a psychologist and, and what I'm trying out on my own child is that it's really important to follow through. So a boundary doesn't exist for your child if you say words that you then back down from. And one of the ways to make your make sure that your boundaries are more effective is to practice in your relationship with your children that what you say is what you mean so that they're not in a position where they think, is this one of the times where we can wear mum down? 
because that's what kids do. They're just remarkable people readers because they have to be. They don't have language to be able to express their needs a lot of the time. And so they're either in floods of emotions and can't really articulate how they're feeling or they're getting excellent at reading you and knowing what you want from them in that situation or which buttons of yours to press so that they can get what they want. If you give in some of the time with an important issue, you can bet that that boundary is going to be much harder to set in future. And the other thing to understand about kids is that boundaries equal safety. And I, I was just mean, going to say that. That was on the tip yeah. of my tongue. It's like, well, it's like the same with routine. Like it's actually it's can safety. be really great for kids yeah. because That's when right. a child can safely predict an outcome, even if it's an outcome they don't necessarily want, yeah. it provides comfort and security and safety. Exactly. And that's our job as parents. So our job as parents is not to necessarily be their friends and make them feel good at time, um, at all times. It's our job is to provide safety and to provide a sense of emotional well-being. Now, for listeners that are thinking, my child doesn't listen to any of my boundaries. The thing that I also want to remind you about is if your child feels really emotionally safe with you, you might often see the worst behavior from them. So sometimes they can be street angels and house devils. And that can be a case of they reserve their manners because it requires effort for outside situations. But at home, they can tell you how they're feeling. They can have a meltdown because they're safe enough to do so. Just like us as adults, we're not going to, it would be uncommon to burst into tears with a stranger. But when you come home, you feel safe, you feel supported, you feel like it will be okay and you'll move through it. So you will burst into tears. Kids are the same. They're going to lose their shit much more frequently at home than they do at schools. And I'm sure... Any parent that has a child at school can be like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The report card tells me so. Or even when you turn up for the pickup. I've had Bennett throw a tantrum in the car park at kindy before and it's simply because I'm back. So I'm available. He doesn't need to keep his kind of outside face on anymore. Yeah, it's a he can have a meltdown because I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, massive. Well, Beck, you have been incredible. Thank you so much for being generous with your time and your wisdom. My pleasure. And thank you for the book. The book is incredible. So tell us a little bit more about your book, Setting Boundaries, and where our listeners can find it and where they can connect with you because I know all of our listeners are going to want more of you. (laughs) Thank you. So Setting Boundaries um, is available in uh, all good bookstores and uh, online retailers in Australia and New Zealand right now, Um, especially at Big W and Target and Kmart if you want to get a good price jump to those stores because it's a little bit cheaper there and Um, it's a beautiful cover it is beautiful it's bright pink and bright orange if you're looking for it and it will be in the UK in the beginning of 2022 in print and in the US in 2022 in May I'm sorry about the wait US we've got COVID shipping issues so it's just taking a little bit longer to get to you Um, but it is available everywhere in the world right now on Kindle and audio formats if you don't want to wait for print and people can find me at rebeccaray.com.au or on all the socials as at Dr. Rebecca Ray. Actually, that's a lie. I'm not on all the socials. Fuck that. I don't have the energy for it. I'm mainly on Instagram and that's where most of my people are. And look, let's face it, I just copy content over to Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, low, algorithm. you got to go the yeah. lowest hanging fruit. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't have the energy. I can't do multiple platforms. I can barely put a bra on. So let's, I know. You know. A business coach said to me the other day, and will you be using Twitter? I was like, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Beck, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time <laughs> and energy. I'll have all of those details in the show notes and also over on our Instagram account. I'll make sure I pop a picture up of the book so that people know exactly what they're looking for. And I know that it's going to help so many people. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Kylie. It's been an absolute pleasure. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you going to make a move? Are you going to come and see? Whatever you want to do, you know what's cool with me. Whisper in the dark. Whispers in the dark. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 